Knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner. Like, He's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And tonight we are going to talk about Rachel Hollis again. Yay! I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure a lot of you listened to our episode about her book, Girl, Wash Your Face, and now we're going to talk about her book, Girl, Stop Apologizing. And one reason we're talking about this, because I know this is a little different from what we normally do, but I've had so many people saying, can you do an episode on this? And I was talking to my mom about it, and my mom said, well, don't the girls in your group kind of know what's wrong with the book? And I said, yeah, but I think a lot of them you know, don't necessarily want to read it in being able to tell their friends Mm. what's wrong with it. Or they want something to send their friends to say, hey, this is some concerns I have with this book. Because, Angela, this book, maybe not as popular as Girl, Wash Your Face, but it's popular out there, isn't it? It sure is. I have seen it quite a few places um, recently. And, you know, it's newer than Girl, Wash Your Face. So give it some time. And I think it very well could get as popular um, as Girl, Wash Your Face did. So, um, you know, this time we're a little ahead of the curve, maybe, and hoping to give our listeners a resource um, before it gets popular so that we can be ready to talk about it with friends um, who have questions and, and be, you know, give them some gentle ideas on, hey, this might not be the best um, reading material for us. Yeah, I think I even saw that USA Today reviewed it. Okay, so if USA Today's reviewing, I mean, that that's, that's pretty popular. And New yeah. York Times bestseller list and, you know, all of these all of these things. So it's definitely out there. I think most Christian women definitely heard about the first book. So I thought just before we dig into the book, especially if, uh, you know, you're not sure who Rachel Hollis is and uh, anything about the other book, uh, I thought we'd just kind of quickly tell you about Rachel Hollis. She's uh, She is a confessing Christian. So she says she's a Christian, a, a, a pastor's daughter. And she's a motivational speaker, and she's she really has accomplished a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed because she had a blog that was kind of like a Martha Stewart type blog for a while, and I don't even know if that's still out there. I haven't checked, <laughs> but um, 
And she's written more books than just these two, but it was Girl, Wash Your Face that really, really took off. And uh, in Girl, Wash Your Face, we I can link the episode we did about that. Girl, Wash Your Face. Angela, can you share some of the things that, just quickly, some of the things that we found problematic and unbiblical and in Girl, Wash Your Face? Yeah, so we did read Girl, Wash Your Face um, a few months ago and unfortunately found some major problems with the book. Um, First of all, um, it talks about law of attraction type of things um, and you being in control of your universe, you being in control of what happens to you. Um, This is sort of some basic... Uh, new age beliefs, and they are explicitly taught in the book, Girl, Wash Your Face. Um, you'll hear about things like vision boards um, in in that book. Um, but the, the worst problem with Girl, Wash Your Face is that it does give a false gospel. And, um, and we're not talking about just a subtle, um, you know, leading away from the gospel or one that's slightly off. We're not even talking about um, law gospel confusion. We're talking about um, girl wash your face says that the gospel is I'm fine the way that I am. And that is definitely not the gospel. Um, so that is ultimately the very worst problem with girl wash your face. But there's, of course, um, quite a few other problems. And we talked about those in detail in our episode about that. And one, of, one of the things too, and the reason we ended up doing it, we'd gotten so many requests, I had never even heard of it. Uh, be, you know, probably maybe a month before we did the episode. And all of a sudden, girls were posting in our group, does anyone know anything about this? And as I researched it, it was a book that women were using for their women's Bible studies. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very popular with with uh, Christian women. And Now, I will say with this new book, they did change something. And I think this is very interesting. Girl, Wash Your Face was published by Thomas Nelson, Mm -hmm. which is the Christian wing of HarperCollins. And this new book was published by HarperCollins. And so when I was reading online today, I was reading some reviews and one one of the reviewers, this was just Amazon reviews. One of the reviewers said, this isn't being marketed as a Christian book, but it is being marketed to Christian women. Mm, yeah, that's And right. a lot of Christian women are reading it because they read the last book. And, you know, we wouldn't just take any book from the New York Times bestseller list and say, oh, we should review this book and see if it lines up with scripture. But this is a book that many Christian women are reading. You know, Rachel says, I'm a Christian. She does talk about God some. Uh, one thing Angela and I did say when when we began talking as we started reading this book, because both of us have read it now, we said, oh, maybe it's not so bad. And I think what we kind of decided is that it's probably equally as bad, but it's not so many blatantly anti scriptural ideas. So she doesn't say, you know, the gospel is this in the new book. And maybe the law of attraction isn't so obvious in the new book. Mm, Yes, but those, uh, I think we agree that those things are still there. They're just more subtle. And they're in a certain way that could make this book a little bit more dangerous. That overall, the issue, you know, with Girl, Wash Your Face, you can find 
some very blatant, very clear quotes that are just against um, what Christians believe. Um, But in this book, it's more foundational issues, um, and it's more just the way that she approaches, it's her worldview that is driving um, a lot of her assumptions and a lot of her conclusions that is just opposed to um, what we believe as Christians. And so, you know, as far as it not being marketed to Christian women, um, I think that there's a way that that is definitely true this time. It's not being marketed to Christian women in the same way that Girl, Wash Your Face was. But I do want to say, um, just as you did, Colleen, Christian women are reading this book. And whether or not the publisher is marketing to Christian women, Christian women are reading this book and telling their friends about it and saying, hey, read this book. It was a good book. And they don't know what's wrong with it. So that's why we considered it worthy of um, talking about again rather than just uh, leaving it behind. You know, I wanted to mention that in the last, just even in the last few days, it's come out a little bit more that Rachel is being accused of plagiarism. And so that I thought just that I should mention that since it's out there, and and basically the accusations is that in in Girl Wash Your Face, in Girl Stop Apologizing, and in her social media, she's got a huge social media following, that she very liberally quotes other people but doesn't cite them. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to make any... I, I did read through, and there does seem to be some clear violations there, but um, we're not going to, you know, get into that, but I thought it was at least worth mentioning. I agree, and, and those things have been discussed in detail in places where our listeners can look that up if they want to look at all of the instances. Um, it is worth mentioning that there is potential plagiarism um, in Rachel's work. So just let's start with a quote that comes from the beginning of, of um, the book. This is from the introduction, and this really kind of sets the tone for what Rachel is going to write about in Girl Stop Apologizing. She says, the worst thing I can imagine is that you might die with that potential still untapped inside of you. And so I wrote this book as encouragement, as a field guide, and also as the wind that fans the flames of your what-if spark so that it turns into a wildfire. You know, I read a great review at the Gospel Coalition site by a woman named Jen Oshman, and just kind of a giving an overview, just jumping off with of what you said there of that quote, Angela. I, I liked her description because I thought it gave a good overview of what the book is about. Um, she says, in her latest book, Girls Stop Apologizing, a shame-free plan for embracing and achieving your goals, Hollis has gained momentum. She wants you to believe in yourself, to take pride in your hard work and accomplishments, and to do so without shame and with gusto. She wants you to go hard and unapologetically after your dreams. I thought that was kind of, you know, if you want to know what the book is about, that kind of summarizes it, the two quotes that Angela and I just mm-hmm. read. Yes. Um, it's There's um, a, a feel to this book that is, it feels like being cheered by a cheerleader. It, it feels, and I mean that very positively, it, it feels like you are being championed. You can get out there and do it. And so I very much understand the appeal of this type of book and why all kinds of women would want to read it, include, including Christian women, because there is a very positive aspect to most of what she writes in this book. So we're going to just go through on 
what this book is about. We're, we're going to talk about some of the good because there was good in it, some of the bad and some of the themes in there and just discuss uh, where this lines, if it lines up with our Christian worldview, where it doesn't. And what are some things, Angela, that you thought were good in the book? Um, I, you know, I did think that there were some good themes in this book. Um, she she encourages women not to just do only things to please others. Um, she encourages women, don't apologize for who you are, how you're different from other women. You know, I think that that, um, that in particular is very encouraging to women um, to hear that who you are and the way now, she doesn't use this exact terminology, but I'm going to say the way that God made you is valuable. And um, there are some ways in this book that she is very, very encouraging. Um, I came ac- across a quote that I thought, you know, there's been some times in my life that I needed a friend to say something like this to me. Um, she says, if you worry that you're overweight and out of shape, this is an example that she's giving, then write a letter to yourself about all the times in your life when your body was incredible. Did you play sports as a child? Did you carry a baby inside yourself? Did you grow another human life? Those arms that are too squishy and untoned, how many times have those arms offered love and comfort to other people? How often have those arms helped you care for your family or do your job or create your art? And I did enjoy that quote um, because I think that there are a lot of times that um, women um, need to hear, and Christian women too, that um, what you have to offer um, has helped people, is valuable, is useful. You have a purpose, and um, that is very, very encouraging. Another thing that I think is good in the book, she's got very, very good tips on practical time management. Uh, she she encourages um, her readers to take a week or two and journal all of their time and what they did with their time, kind of like if you kept a food journal and wrote down everything that you ate, um, and then analyze it and see, okay, where am I wasting time? I think this is a great tip. Um, and I think that uh, she talks a lot about being focused and editing and realizing you can't do everything. I think that's a great tip. And a lot of us in our very busy day and age um, need to hear things like that. And, you know, I think in right now we're in a, an interesting time with social media because everybody's out there putting their beautiful pictures out there and they look wonderful and it is easy to compare yourself to others. Mm -hmm. And I think she addresses that, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're each unique and not to compare yourself and, and if somebody else has more achievements than you or different than you, not to compare yourself. And I think that's true. She even kind of talks a little bit about the mommy wars Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. And I think that is is helpful. And she and one thing she said, I don't have the quote in front of me, but she she talked about her marriage being her priority, uh-huh. and how some people will say, "Well, aren't your children your number one priority?" And she says, "No, my marriage is." And I agree with that. It, if your marriage isn't your number one priority, obviously after the Lord, um, you're, you're not going to be a great great parents together, you know. And I think that was a really I I appreciated that she said that. I agree. I remember the same quote, and I remember thinking, you know, this is not something that um, you hear everywhere in non-Christian books. So I do think that that's a great message to hear in this book. 
And I'll say, I'll add the last thing that I think is hit very hard in this book that I think is positive. She portrays hard work as a good thing. It's not something to be avoided. Um, it's not a curse. It's, you know, hard work is something that we are made to do. And um, I, I think this is another message that we don't always hear. Um, she, she, um, encourages delaying gratification for a greater goal. I mean, this is something that I was taught in my family growing up. And I think that um, that is very good. She is very positive about hard work um, and doing things to achieve what it is that you would like to achieve. She she affirms both stay-at-home moms and working moms. And I would have some disagreements on things that she said in regards to mm-hmm. that. But she also has some good things to say, you know, in regards to that. You know, we're going to, we're not all the same. Mm-hmm. And it is possible to care for your children and um, also work. Mm-hmm. And so now we're going to talk about some of the things that that we had um that we think are not so great. <laughs> Some um, of the foundational you, issues. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a quote here and it, it's actually from the end of the book, but I think again, it kind of gives an overview of the message that she's trying to do in both books. Her like, and she really does end with, she really kind of brings it all together. And she says, the real you is destined for something more your version of more. This is who you were made to be. And the first step to making that vision a reality is to stop apologizing for having the dream in the first place. Like Lady Gaga says, baby, you were born this way. It's not your job to make yourself fit into anyone else's ideal. It's your job to start believing in who you are and what you're capable of. It's time to be yourself unapologetically and to show the world what happens when a woman challenges herself for greatness. It's time to stop apologizing for who you are. It's time to become who you were made to be. And that that also kind of brings up some of my my concerns with the book. Yeah, it's very self-centered. It is very, um, you know, your purpose is something that's coming from within you. It is a dream that you have. And the pursuit of that dream is your purpose. And, you know, we've, we, we're calling this an overemphasis on happiness and pursuing dreams. And I, I do think that Pretty much every chapter in this book is talking about either something that is a lie that you believe or a new habit that you need to form. All of those, the the connecting theme is achieving your dreams. Um, and she's very broad with what the dreams can be because ultimately the dreams are up to you. They're, they're something that comes from you. Um, and so... One of the issues that I have with this, first of all, is that it's very me-centered and self-centered. It's not very selfless. Um, But another issue that I have with this is that it's... um, So um, we were talking earlier, and you you mentioned that you had talked with a friend about this book, and the friend um, observed that it's all law. And, And that is true, because it is all about things that I do, do more, and achieve... Um, I've got a quote here. Rachel says, I don't care if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company 
or a stay-at-home mom, you've got to have a goal. It can be anything at all. Just know that you're supposed to have one. And, you know, I read that and I thought to myself, you know, there is nothing wrong with having goals and achieving um, certain kinds of goals. But really, not everyone is this type of person. And, you know, she gives some arguments in the book for why everyone can and should be this kind of person. I'll just say that I disagree and that not everyone is this type of person, and that is okay. Not everyone is achievement-oriented. Not everyone is extremely goal-oriented and wants to spend every waking minute achieving those goals. And if you're not that person, that is okay. I would say about this quote that you have to have a goal. I would say, I don't have to apologize for not having a goal. That's okay. And I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 10 and 11. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. Um, and what I love about the scripture is it's so balanced. It's um, um, speaking to the, the Thessalonians about a group of people who were not working and who were expecting the rest of the body to provide for them. And it's saying, you know, don't do that. Don't be lazy. But, you know, work so that you're not a burden to anyone. But it's talking about living a quiet life. You know, it, it, it uses the word ambition here. And um, Hollis talks a lot about ambition. But what it, the Bible says that our ambition is, is to lead a quiet life. And, and I love that because um, it soothes me that I don't always have to be achieving someone's idea of greatness or even that I can let go of something that's coming from myself that is some idea of greatness. I can live a quiet life and a normal quiet life is something to be admired. One of the things that I that really stuck out to me that I really have a problem with is that this idea of happiness being the end goal mm. and it's it's a do what makes you happy way of looking at life. And I think that's a dangerous way to look at life. I was in a conversation with a father and his older daughter had done some very sinful things. And she said to him, but dad, you want me to be happy, don't you? And he said to me, you know, I always said to my children, um, I just want you to be happy. And he said, I think that was a mistake. Mm. And that it's something I never say to my children. I just want you to be happy. That should not be our our end goal. Mm. That mm-hmm. That's not the message that we're getting in scripture. We should be holy mm-hmm. and obedient and fulfilled in Christ. And, and I think even there is an idea that if you achieve your goals, that will fulfill you. That will be your life's purpose. Mm. Or it is your life's purpose to have goals and achieve them mm-hmm. and to make them happen. And I think that's, that's concerning. And also the emphasis on self-esteem. You know, Angela, you and I have seen, because of our ages, and you're a little bit younger than me, but... When all of a sudden, I think it was probably, I don't know, the 90s especially, where now we have to emphasize self-esteem, right? Right. 
Um, and what's happened is, is we have a lot of people that feel good about themselves for no reason. Like I'm special just because I am, because <laughs> I exist. Yes. It doesn't matter if I, you know, you go to, I remember my kids went to a track meet and, and I asked my son, so did you win any of the races? And he said, oh, no, everybody gets a ribbon, mm. you know? And so they want everyone to feel good about themselves, but that's not necessarily a good a good thing to be overconfident. And so there there is a sense where it's all law and it's crushing and I can never live up to what she's telling me to do. But then there's also a sense that you should feel good about yourself and everything you do, no matter what. Oh, absolutely. I definitely picked up that message from this book. And I'll add that just slightly different from that message, I I felt that the book assumes that my desires are automatically God approved just because I have them. Um, Hollis writes, my dreams weren't just a part of me. They were the core of who I was. They were a gift from God. And if my creator endowed me with something, how could it be wrong? And so the underlying premise here is that I have some desires. The fact that I have them means that they're from God. And it means that they can't be wrong. But I want to read from Galatians chapter 5 about desires. Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. This scripture is blatantly telling us that there is such a thing as a desire that is not from God. And the desires that come from the Spirit and the desires that come from our flesh are diametrically opposed. So the fact that I have a desire that exists is not proof that this is God approved and that God wants me to act on this desire. We need to test our desires against what the scripture says is right and holy and let that be our guide. Yeah, there's there's no recognition of the fact that we're sinners. And mm. the quote that you just read about, um, you know, if I have a desire, it must be from God, made me think of James 1, 14 and 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that that tells me that not all my desires are good. <laughs> right, right. It's so it's and can lead to death. Exactly. Even. I was just uh just that little end to that verse was just ringing in my ear and uh, you know comparing to what is said in this book, you know, Rachel Hollis is very urgent about fulfilling your desires and achieving your goals and your dreams it's and she makes some statements that are along the lines of if I don't do this I'm gonna die I can't you know it's it's the most intrinsic important thing to me and the Bible says exactly the opposite is that fulfilling desires that are sin leads to death and I I do want to qualify that and say that um, I am not sure that I recall uh, any of Rachel Hollis's examples of desires being explicitly sin. Um, did you recall any, Colleen? No, I didn't. And I think it it actually goes along with the fact that she has a very strong emphasis on follow yourself, almost mm-hmm. like you know best 
what's right for you. Yes, that's exactly right. And there there are some places in the book where she talks about, um, you know, what if uh, you have someone in your life that's telling you that XYZ is wrong? And, you know, her answer to that is, okay, first of all, you know what right and wrong is. You know in your gut by how it feels what right and wrong is. And, of course, we know, we talk about this all the time on Theology Gals, we know what right and wrong is by the Word of God. It's not about what's in our heart. The heart is deceitful. We don't trust what our heart says is right and wrong. Um, we trust the Word of God. Yeah, amen to that. And so there is no following Jesus. There is no emphasis on the Word of God. And this book is, is being marketed secularly. Mm-hmm. So it's not being like, this is a Christian book for you to go and get all of your theology. But she does she does talk about about God, and she is out there saying she's a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so just this this focus, this over... Um, emphasized focus on myself. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we're told in Scripture to fix our eyes on Jesus, not not look into ourselves for all the right answers. But I think, it, while she doesn't say that right out, that's kind of the message that I get, that you, you know what's right for you. Absolutely. And, you know, as far as, um, you know, we place our trust in Jesus Christ. That's um, where we get our help. That's where... Um, who we are trusting for our salvation, for our righteousness. Um, that, I mean, the righteousness of, of Christ, that right there is the ultimate achievement that we know we can't achieve on our own. And so, yes, she does not talk about the gospel in this book. She doesn't urge anyone to rely on Christ. And there is a way that I understand that because this book is not being written as a theology book. It is not being written um, to... Uh, Christian women as to where to put your trust. However, she does um, make claims in a more general sense about where we trust and where we find comfort and where we find rest. Um, I find a very high emphasis on placing trust in material wealth. And some of that is um, coming from Rachel's background, growing up poor. She talks about her family being poor and her parents fighting Um, over money and how she made it a goal that she never wanted to live that way as an adult. And, you know, honestly, my heart goes out to her and I completely understand um, why she would make that goal. But there is um, a return over and over in every chapter to achieving one financial goal after another that is very, very, very important to her. We are not saying that money is wrong, but it became clear to me through reading the book, that there is a lot of trust um, being placed in material wealth and having resources. Yeah, almost as if material wealth, that it's okay for material wealth to be an idol. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one of the things, and we've talked a little bit about it, that she talks about a lot is dreams. And she says, when I say dream, I mean something you greatly desire. I mean that you're fantasizing about something and imagining what it would be like regularly. So if that's her understanding of dreams, that that really concerns me because sometimes I desire something that is not good, that is sinful. I'm, you know, sometimes we can fantasize about something that we want but we know it is wrong. Mm. And so if that's what we're calling dreams, that that does concern me. And then what Angela was talking about earlier, you know, when she's 
She says that my dreams weren't just a part of me. They were the core of who I was. They were a gift from God. And if my creator endowed me with something, how could it be wrong? And that that concerns me because I think that you could use that to justify sin. Right. Right. Because the underlying premise there is that if the desire exists, it came from God. And of course, what we saw in Galatians is that there are desires that do not come from God and that those are to be rejected. You know, I... I think we should maybe just throw in here, Angela, we are not saying that dreaming is bad. Uh, I, I read a book years ago, and I can't tell you the name of it, but they interviewed couples that have been married a really long time. I think each had been married at least 40 years, and they found things that these couples had in common. And one of those things is that they dreamed together. And my husband and I love to dream together. You know, one day when our kids are gone, we want to get a new motor home and travel the country. And so there are appropriate ways to dream and, and goals and acquiring those goals. Mm-hmm. Those things are not bad in and of themselves. Right. And I'll, I'll add to that that I think that there are quite a few of the things that Rachel uses as examples of dreams in this book that are fine dreams to have and, and many of them even good dreams to have. She talks a lot about um, getting physically healthy, um, doing what you need to do to take care of your body, not smoking, exercising, eating healthy. Those are wonderful things. Um, and I would not discourage anyone from having those sorts of dreams. Um, the issue becomes when we make having dreams and achieving the dreams the core of our being and our purpose for being on earth. I would say, I really think that when your dreams become your idols, then that that is not what the Lord has for mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. When that becomes more important to us than the Lord. Um, so one thing she talks about, because obviously as girls stop apologizing, but she talks about guilt. Mm. And she says, this, this one shocked me, guilt and shame are not from God. So please don't allow yourself to assume that your mommy guilt is something divine. And so first, let's say um, there there is a difference between ob- objective guilt and our subjective guilt feelings. So mm-hmm. it is possible to feel a, a guilt feeling and we're not actually guilty. So we should, there, there is being um, objectively guilty. You know, we are guilty right. before God, whether we feel it or not, we are. And so that's different than... Um, you know, I, I feel guilty because I, you know, wasn't able to make all my kids clothes by hand or, you know, some things mm-hmm, like that. That's mm-hmm, probably a bad right. example, but I'm just, but you understand what I'm saying, yeah. but I think that's potentially dangerous because I think the Lord does use our guilt and shame. You, you see it in the Psalms. I was reading Psalm 51 today. So we see how our guilt how the Lord uses our guilt and shame. And I even think Heidelberg Catechism, which is split into guilt, grace, and gratitude. Mm. 
Yes, I remember in the section where she is talking about guilt um, that you just brought up that she even uses an example of one of her fans who wrote to her online and said, you know, guilt isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes God uses our guilt to help us see that we're doing something that's wrong. And she strongly disagreed with that and said that it was wrong. And so I think we are we are making a sharp disagreement with her that, um, you know, God does, our emotions are part of our being that God created, and there is a use for our emotions. Now, we are not to um, trust our emotions implicitly without ever questioning and without ever thinking about and comparing with Scripture, what is, you know, what is my desire? But, you know, I agree with the commenter who um, commented to Rachel Hollis online that, there are times when we are doing something that is sin and we feel guilt. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we should listen to that. Um, we should consider that, you know, if I feel guilty because I was harsh with my children, then I need to listen to that guilt and go confess to my child and say that I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. Um, but there's a difference between that and then, just as you were saying, Colleen, if I feel guilty um, because I said, no, I'm not buying you a new toy today, there's no reason to feel guilty about that. And that's that's a different kind of guilt. But we don't think that you can just blatantly say, all guilt is not from God. I, I can't agree with that. Romans 2.4 says, or do you think light, lightly of the riches of his kindness? kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. And I think, Angela, you were talking about that story when you feel guilty because you've been harsh with your children. Um, that That is leading you to repentance because of the Lord's work in your life, because of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember um, a couple of weeks ago when we were recording our episode about the Ten Commandments and reading those long, long lists from (laughs) the Westminster Catechisms and from Heidelberg about just what all is involved in each commandment. And I remember thinking to myself as we were recording, wow, I I do not do these very well. (laughs) And you know what? Just like you said, I think that's a good thing. That's from the Lord. It's leading me to repentance. It's leading me to examine and um, take a look at how I can become more holy. The the last one on kind of the themes that I came up with, and, and that has to do with your life's purpose, which she really kind of talks about these goals and these dreams and acquiring them being so fundamental to your purpose in life. And we know that, that that isn't true. I have a quote from her. If I could tell you anything, if I could convince you to believe it, it's that you were made for more. You were made to have the dreams you're afraid of. You were made to do the things you don't think you're qualified for. You were made to be a leader. You were made to contribute. You were made to make changes for good, both in your local community and the world at large. You were made to be more than you are today. This is the important part. You're version of more. And, you know, and then she says, because the world needs your spark, the world needs your energy, the world needs you to show up for your life and take hold of your potential. You know, it so there's a lot of where this becomes the purpose of your life, instead of what do we know is the purpose of our life, Angela? 
we know this from um, the Westminster Catechism, question one, um, our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, so we do not believe that our purpose in life is to fulfill our goals and dreams. So what, one of the things, and I think just a quick interesting discussion, because she does talk about being selfish, you know, that sometimes you need to be selfish. You're always doing everything for everyone else. You know, sometimes you get to be selfish and people need to think about you. So is it ever okay for us to be selfish? I do not recall ever being commanded in scripture to be selfish. (laughs) I do recall love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, it's interesting because she talks a lot about loving yourself and, um, and you know, that's going into the selfish realm. And she talks about that in the sections where she's talking about why it's okay to be selfish sometimes. Um, and she doesn't use that explicit language, but it's very, very clear that she is talking about elevating your desires, your dreams, your goals, and putting them first. She's very, very clear about that. One way that this sort of works itself out when she's talking about achieving your dreams and sort of elevating them above um, anyone else in your life is that um, she's really downplaying the value of serving others. And you know, I would really say that it's a very good goal and a very good thing that we should want to achieve to be a servant and to serve others. Um, one of these, one of our quotes says, "Being occasionally inconvenienced is a part of life, and if you're willing to serve others, then you better be willing to demand that they do it for you." Now, this isn't a bigger section where she's talking about um, that relationships need to be reciprocal and it is okay to accept help from others and to even expect that other people are going to help you because you've been helping them. And I would say that there are some ways where um, it's okay to have some boundaries in relationships. It's okay to, um, to express needs in relationships and you don't have to be the only one giving and the other person never gives in return. But I would not use the language here. You would, you better be willing to demand that they do it for you. I, I don't think that the scripture ever commands us um, to demand of others. It tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, it never tells us, "Hey, love yourself, Christian. This is the, a thing that you have a problem with." It assumes that we know how to love ourselves. Yeah, we're already good at loving yeah, ourselves. You came out knowing how to love yourself. It uses that as the baseline to tell you, hey, Christian, love others that same way. So I think that that is something for us to think about. Is it okay to be selfish? I don't think the scripture commands us to be selfish ever. She even says, it doesn't matter what they think of you. It matters what you think of you. And I know that there is a sense that we should not live our lives worrying about what other people think, but I think you can go too far the other way with, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And we need to be asking ourselves, okay, is the reason people are upset with us because we are living holy lives or because we're in sin or we're being selfish Mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. you know, any number of things. You know, I think it's a good time to just to uh, to talk about the doctrine of vocation and and what we know from scripture is our purpose and our calling in life 
So what is the doctrine of vocation? Well, you know, it's the idea that God calls us to different jobs and vocations in this life. So, you know, it might be mother, it might be father, it might be sister, it might be accountant, it might be software developer, it might be fireman, but um, God calls us to different vocations and We don't have to Christianize those vocations per se, but we do them heartily as unto the Lord. Yeah, we do everything to the glory of God. Martin Luther said, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. If your job is shoveling manure, then do your best and shovel that manure for the glory of God. So I think he had a quote about poopy diapers. (laughs) You know, so whatever, whatever we do, we do our best and we do to the glory of God. And I, I think that goes right with Westminster 1-1, you know, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's really what's missing from this book, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, along with some of the other things that we, we talked about, God is pretty much absent from it, even though she does, you know, talk about God. And so if it's okay for a Christian to write a secular book. So let me just say that. But the reason we're talking about it is because Christian women are reading it and and they're using it as a manual for life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if I were to compare this doctrine of vocation to the overall message that I think I received from Rachel Hollis's book, in our doctrine of vocation, Wherever you find yourself that God has placed you, you work in that to the glory of God. If I'm comparing that to what Rachel says, you decide where you want to be. There is no admonition to be satisfied and grateful for the station I find myself in. It is really built on I'm dissatisfied with where I am, and I'm going to achieve more. And so um, there is an underlying sort of contentment that I think is missing um, in this book, a contentment with the vocation that God has given me. I think it sort of worked itself out for me in the few places that she talked about um, stay-at-home moms and working moms. And I do very much appreciate that she affirms both stay-at-home moms and working moms. But also, I will say the way in which she talks about rejecting being a stay-at-home mom for herself, um, there is some nuance there that I think um, is rejecting that vocation as something um, that in and of itself can be called more and something worthy of achieving. Um, She puts that vocation in contrast to her wanting something that she calls more than that. There's almost a being dissatisfied mm-hmm. and I'll be happy when. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there are things, there are several things in my life that were not my goal or my dream. And and they happened. I, I told my husband, I will move anywhere but Denver. Anywhere but Denver. And... Guess where we're moving? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Guarantee you that was not my dream. Um, You know, and so, but you know what? I am, I am to be content wherever the Lord has me. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is if you're married, 
maybe some of your dreams might not line up with what's best for your family, what's best for your marriage. And I think of of my husband and me and just through the years where a lot of times our dreams and goals have, have come together so that we have dreams and goals together. And so a lot of the things that I want for the future, it's, it's with him and it's in view of, of things that he would, dreams that he might have. And I think that's important too. I definitely agree. Well, this final quote here by Augustine about our vocation and working hard, pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. And so I I do, um, again, appreciate that Rachel Hollis holds up um, hard work as something good. Um, And I think that what we want to do as believers is focus on working hard in the vocation where God has placed us and do all of those things for His glory. And to fix our eyes on Jesus, not our eyes on ourselves. Absolutely. Because I think we already do that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have no trouble with me, me, me. I mean, uh, this is why we need to be reminded of the gospel constantly, because it is natural for us to want to do it ourselves. But we know that we need to trust in the Lord and His righteousness, trust in Jesus Christ, um, and His for for our salvation, because He's the only one who is able to satisfy the requirements. I cannot do it myself. I think that's a great place to end. I hope that this was helpful for those that have tuned in, and uh, a couple of things. If if you weren't aware, we have Theology Gals merchandise. I always forget to say it, uh, but there's a link on our website at theologygals.com. And there is so many different colors and styles and and whatnot if you'd like a Theology Gals shirt. I even have some some little onesies in there for your baby <laughs> Theology Gals. <laughs> They're so cute. Uh, and if you'd like to support us, there's a, a link on, on there also. So, well, thank you for spending this time with us and we'll be back next week. Hey, this is Pete Orta, former guitar player for the Grammy award-winning Christian rock band, Petra. I'd like to invite you to my new podcast called Christian Conversations Unfiltered. This channel is much different than my sermon podcast. The episodes are intimate conversations with people who I enjoy about topics that I can't really unbox from the pulpit. Each episode is unproduced, unedited, and unapologetic. Conversations that might not only help you answer some relevant questions you might be struggling with, but also help create some questions in your head that you might not have even ever thought of. The purpose of this podcast is to help people apply their theology while broadening their biblical worldview. So go to PeteOrta.com, that's P-E-T-E-O-R-T-A.com, and click subscribe to podcast, and then choose what podcast you'd like to hear, if not both, and what platform works best for you. Can't wait for you to join us. God bless.